0: Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize valuation and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights Podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsword, and today I'm talking to Garrick Tate. Now, Garrick is, uh, I guess, uh, someone we really need to be talking to in today's world, business world, because he knows all things AI, And, uh, and my what I'm going to have to do today is get Garrick's complex brain and and distill all the information in it in, in in a way that makes it meaningful and useful to someone like myself, and hopefully that'll help uh, you listeners as well uh, understand and how we can take advantage of AI in in today's world. So so welcome, Garrick, and uh, thanks for joining us today.
1: Glad to be here, Daryl. Thank you.
0: Cool, now Garrick. Why don't we start by getting an understanding. Because I think AI could be a bit like bitcoin it it's one of those terms it's new and it's 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 burst onto the scene and taken over our lives. but I just wonder how many of us really understand what it is so so let's start by getting a bit of an understanding of what AI is and then that'll help us identify how we could take advantage of that and make it useful in our own businesses uh and uh you know where it is beneficial and what those benefits are if that makes sense so what is AI? Right. So uh,
1: AI it's a field in computer science, and it's uh, essentially the the study and the engineering of how do you make the dumbest thing in the world, which is a computer, how do you make that smarter? Um, in in the in the purest sense, and uh, it's uh, based off of a lot of things we've learned from neuroscience and from philosophy of, of cognitive um, co- cognitive mind and uh, but fundamentally at its base, it's just making computers that are smarter and can can think more well, honestly, more human, even though we're, we're finding that there's a lot of things that aren't so human about them.
0: And I guess it's the appearance of being human, because I, I think you, you've started yes. on a really important yeah. point is that computers are pretty dumb. They are just a machine. They don't have a mind. They don't have a soul or a personality. All they do is, is have software. Um, and, and they get inputs and they they process that input and they produce an output and then they'll get some feedback and and adjust it as required. And the more processing power they have, correct me if I'm wrong. This is what I've learned so far. But the more processing power they have, the the more computations they can do, and and therefore quicker, and therefore appear, or, or they're beginning to appear human like. And but they've still got some catching up to the human brain, uh, as I understand things.
1: Yeah, the the big um, innovations inside of uh, AI has been definitely from the bottom up approach, which is that it is able to make inferences uh, from a bottom up sort of level, but not so much from a top down level. This is why when you when you ask it like to play chess, it'll say chess moves, but it forget what the the previous moves on the chess board were. At least the current generative uh, models are doing that. You know, deep. Uh, I believe it's call Deep Blue. Um, that fought Gary Kasparov is obviously a very different AI, but a lot of these AIs appear intelligent, but it's 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 kind of an illusion
0: so that's a really helpful way to explain it, I think or it you know, is for me. So if I think of a game of chess, I'm thinking, what move am I going to make next? Now, if I make that move, he'll probably make that move, or he could do that move, or he could do that. But if I do that move, and then I do that move, and then I do that move, and hopefully I can set it up to do this, 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 and this, and and therefore I've got him, depending if he plays the way I want him to play. Now, I'm not a great chess player, but that's the way the mind works when playing chess, and are you saying that a computer can't have all that? Think of all those steps forward, and uh, and 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 think of the way that the the opponent's going to react. It just has a look at all of the pieces on the board at the moment, and has a look at all the possible uh, the possibilities to move in that that exact instance. Is is, is that what you're saying?
1: Uh, there's a lot of types of AI out there, and and a lot of ways to engineer it, but. These generative models, so when you say ChatGPT, the the T stands for, or sorry, the G stands for generative. Um, The way these generative models work is very much from a perspective that I call the bottom-up approach, which is essentially that it reads massive amounts of data and then it finds patterns in that data and then it can play those patterns out. So when it says, what's the next word in the sequence, it's looking at the previous words in the sequence and then going off of that. So when you're playing a chess game, a game of chess you're seeing that uh, as a as a simulation that's that's present in front of you but the way the ai is playing it is it's just reading the previous moves and it's making its best guess of something that sounds right for what comes
0: next all righty and and for the purpose of this podcast that's probably enough of a definition because uh this is not a <laughs> <Fair without enough. laughs> going deep into ai so again you, you've set it up really nicely for us to go here's what ai is now in terms of business, so, so the people listening to this podcast are business owners who are, you know, probably got their business from you know, 10 to 250-ish people. They're at that stage where they're thinking, hey, I need to make my business more valuable. I want to increase the valuation of my business in anticipation of an exit in the next you know, two, three, five years. Thinking about how do I make my business really attractive so that it can be acquired? Yes AI has burst onto the scene it it's got all sorts of promises of making our lives easier being reliable I guess uh, removing a whole lot of repetitive tasks and and doing those tasks reliably meaning that we can perhaps redeploy some of our employees to be doing more meaningful work that that AI can't do at this stage and just make sure that the AI tasks are, are running along smoothly is is that the, the sort of way that business owners should be thinking at the moment about AI?
1: Uh, absolutely. The, the way that I think about it is if we take a historical perspective here, you know, the human body for the last 10,000 years has been the ultimate work machine for most of, of human history, you know, caveman days and such. But once we were able to boil down certain very useful tasks into Kind of a groove or into, into a systematized way we're able to deploy you know horses we get horsepower we're able to make machines and steam machines and and all of these tools and technologies and other other creatures in order to do that physical work our our body is a platform that's versatile but it's not so specialized in any one thing luckily and what AI now coming on the scene is really just a continuation of it's so, that you know AI is the modern it's, it's the workhorse of the uh, information age. So once you are able to groove out, okay, these are the inputs, I'm gonna be talking more about that soon, I'm, I'm very sure. Once you boil down, okay, these are the inputs, these are the outputs, AI, and you have enough data to train it, AI can really take over any repetitive tasks that you want it to take over and do it um, exceedingly well, depending on how much data you can feed it.
0: So let's not mess around, let's get into that. Um we're exploring around how business owners can exploit AI. And, um, and, and you've just alluded to, Hey, look, we, we need to give the, the the system some sort of input. Uh, we need a whole lot of data, a whole lot of pre-information, I guess, or pre-experience of, of how we handle that. Examples.
1: Input.
0: Yeah. Examples yeah. of how we've handled that input and what the possible outcomes are. So the AI can go, right, well, here's the outcome I got in this time. Let me compare it to all the other outcomes and therefore I know what to do next. I'm making it sound like it's thinking for itself and, uh, and maybe we'll end up there one day as well. But so if that's what it's doing, have you got some real life examples of how business owners can sort of do that? Let, let, let's bring it to life for, for, for people so that they can perhaps, you know, stimulate some ideas for them moving forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was one company we supported that was in the remote uh, the remote outsourcing industry. They provide executive assistance and they have a very good USP. They have a good target market and they were able to you know, really be, be selling it like hotcakes um, at a very premium price point. But in order to justify that premium price point, they have to make sure they've hired the very best personal assistants to, to execute on. And so their big constraint was how do we find those, uh, find those people and find them quickly. And so this this is the very first question that I walk my clients through when they're asking, how do we apply AI? Uh, We always take the theory of constraints seriously. Uh, The theory of constraints was introduced by Eli Goldratt in his his book, The Goal. But um, it's it's basically saying, you have to make sure you're attacking the right problem. You break down your, your business into a series of interlocking pieces I'm sure your mechanical background—you you, you know a lot about that hand systems thinking—and you find the part of the business that is the the largest constraint, and you focus on solving that. So in the uh, the example businesses case, that was definitely the recruitment, and so we, we we looked at the recruitment as a series of interlocking steps, asking, okay, wh- where are the handoff points? Where are the points that are taking the most amount of time? There, where the most number of errors errors are, are cropping where the most number of drop balls are, are occurring. Um, where were those issues? And once we found those, it turned out it was all at the very top of the funnel. You know, once somebody had gone through a couple interviews, the, the, the recruiters handled them very well. The experience was very positive. We were able to uh, um, uh, get people through the funnel. But at the very top, we were making lots of mistakes. And so we at, luckily, that was a pretty simple part of the funnel as far as the input score is concerned. We got their cover letters. We got their CVs. We got um, their, their information from their application form. And so we were able to use AI to read all that data. And then, first of all, actually just making sure that the AI properly moved them to the next stage of the funnel. So replied to their emails, had them fill out the, uh, the next steps of the process. And as time went on, we also started adding AI in order to read this, their, their resumes, read their cover letters, and give suggestions if they were a good fit or a not so good fit for those positions. And after we implemented this, it took about three months. Um, after it was implemented, the recruitment was able to triple the number of people they were able to hire every month, which allowed the business to about double over the, next, um, uh, over the course of that year.
0: So you've got my mind racing, Garrett. <clears throat> and let's play with that for a sec. So my understanding of the recruitment industry is that as much as we want, don't want it to be, I guess it's kind of emotional. And what I mean by that is that applicants go to a whole lot of effort in producing their CVs, their resumes, and trying to stand out because they know that for a lot of jobs, hundreds, if not thousands of applications get put in and they want to stand out from the crowd. So to do that, they need to do something, some sort of emotional self-positioning to to jump out from the crowd so that their CV gets read by the person and that they get added to the shortlist and and they aren't rejected at stage one. If I'm understanding what you've just suggested that you've used AI for is to go, well, let's do that process. And just instead of, Reading and and having some sort of emotional or feelings attachment to a, a, a CV or a, or an application that you've seen, the AI is is conducting that process for us, and they're just purely looking for the facts, and and the experience and the data from a, you know without emotion, and then just filtering all of the application from that perspective and handing them on and doing all the admin and and legwork for the the recruiters to then take the the applicants that really qualify um based on real experience and, and it's kind of hard yes or no is, is that what happening here which is going to change the way people are writing their their application letters i imagine at some point so what you're describing is how how do
1: we like remove the uh the, the bells and whistles and get to like the real meat of 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 an applicant's um qualifications I think that AI is very capable of doing that. The these generative pre-trained models, though, they're not really emotionless. Like you can, I like to think of it as hypnotizing them. You can make them act angry. You can make them act sad. You can make them act happy. In fact, actually, with uh, oh, what's called a, a jailbreaking them when you when you uh, uh, prompt hack them so that you, you can make them do let's say naughty things or tell you how to build a bomb or whatever. Um, one of the ways that they Figured out how to do that is you make it deliriously happy, um, then it will start like being it will be more likely to give you illegal information, and All so overshare. these
0: <laughs> like getting something yes, drunk. truly,
1: it is exactly like that. And the reason why I think it's exactly like that is because these models have been trained off of us. Fundamentally, they are. I think a lot about what we're doing with AI as a type of mirror. It's, it, it might be a funhouse mirror where it's kind of warped and it's doing its own thing, but it really is reflecting back onto us. It's our data from the internet represented back to us. And so I don't want to over I don't want to oversell that the the current models of AI are doing that, what you're describing naturally. But the thing is, realistically, they absolutely can, because you just make it a multi-step process where you have two separate AIs. The first ai extracts from the resume because of course the humans are still going to sell themselves so you have the first ai say hey no 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 flotsam nothing else just extract the data points convert it into a bullet point list and then you have a secondary ai read from that bullet point list of course you're introducing two points of failure there but that would be a way that you could easily um, use ai to make the process more objective and that's maybe something we should be doing in our case we were mostly comparing to did the human who read the resume think it's a good idea? And did the AI think it's a similar idea? And we we checked to see when they would disagree and figure out if we agreed, if um, management agreed with the AI or management agreed with the human. And we use that as a way to calibrate and and judge if we were happy with it or not. Um, but what you're describing here would have taken a little more time, but maybe is what we should do in round
0: two. Okay. So maybe it's a little more evolved than I'm thinking. and. And and I think what's going on here is uh, I'm allowing my personal interest uh, in this subject to derail us from the where we should be heading with the podcast. So why don't you tell me uh, and and share with us what what are business owners how how they're using and looking at AI at the moment? So today in, in your experience of what they're doing out there in the marketplace, what are they getting wrong when when they're the way they're playing with AI or, or, or trying to apply it or, or involve in, integrate it into their business.
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are just being motivated by FOMO. A lot of entrepreneurs and business owners out there, you know, they see it's a hot new thing and then you know, they don't want to be left out. So, so, so they're diving in. And for sure, a lot of these new technologies, you know, new AI tools are being built every single day. And yeah. some of them are very exciting. But I think the excitement of what the technology represents and of the fad of the moment can motivate business owners to be prototyping it and testing in their business without always asking, like, is this actually solving our core problem? And so I think that that's the number one thing that business owners have to ask themselves. You know, what's what's the core problem in my business? What's the constraint that's holding me back? And then solve that constraint. And then an AI mindset is just opening up a whole new set of tools. You, you can solve that by better training, by hiring more people, by restructuring your business. But the AI mindset and the automation mindset is, can we solve these problems with AI? And because these tools are so versatile, the answer is more often yes than we would think in the, in the, the, day, of, in the day of knowledge work.
0: So is the risk that 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 people today are, are trying to use AI for the sake of using AI, whereas what I think you're saying is let's get in and have a look at the businesses and go look. There's a real problem here. Oh, look, here's the problem we're trying to solve. Yep. Oh, and by the way, you could probably use AI to solve that and 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 you know, save a few steps and become a more efficiency or exactly. or, or redeploy someone. This this could replace a, a human doing that be more accurate, more reliable, a whole lot faster, which now means you can use that person in a more valuable role elsewhere.
1: Exactly. And I, I think that when you're a smaller business, let's say, seven, you know, between three to seven employees, probably your, your business is going to be a lot more augmented by just a humans using AI to do their work more effectively, you don't have so many systems and processes that you want to automate. But once you get to this scale of say 30 to 100 employees, you're, you're small enough where there's still a lot of communication across departments where a lot of innovation can bubble around. You're not calcified, but yeah, and you can move faster than some of the bigger enterprises out there, significantly mm-hmm. faster, mm-hmm. but on the flip side, you have enough of a systematization. You have enough of, of, of a process that taking a hard look and asking yourself, can, can AI speed some of this up? Can we redeploy resources, um, is going to probably have a lot of low hanging fruit. And that's that's where we can't specialize
0: yeah and, and what about automation Garrick Does the, the, the two hand in hand are they are they one in the same help me out here
1: they're, they're definitely different uh, disciplines and I think that it's it's a a step forward to be seeing AI in the context of automation so AI the AI mindset is just looking at AI as a new tool and in many ways a a superior tool in our toolbox in order to automate more things than before we we ever could uh going back to the previous idea of ai is a modern day workhorse of the information age because uh you know before a horse could you know pull pull the wagon but it couldn't do your taxes well now ai there's enough data enough examples enough clear inputs and outputs ai can so that's that's the idea
0: that's one hell of a horse (laughs) <laughs> yes sir so so let's get practical so for for a small business owner out there who's in that you know i guess that that 10 to 30 business bracket that perhaps could mm-hmm. can can spend a little bit of money to to work on ai as a solution what sort of things should they be looking at to go Oh, maybe I should get some help here, and, and maybe AI can solve this problem, or help me perform this task or this process better, or we just really benefit from from automating this step using some sort of AI process, and and that would help make my business more efficient and therefore more reliable and end up being more valuable. So, so where, where would the, start the first thing?
1: At? Yeah, so 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 the first thing is on the constraint of the business. Where where in the business are we? Um, being held back by. And uh, th- this idea originally came from manufacturing, but it, I think it applies to all businesses. So it started in manufacturing to say, if, if you have a series of steps, like assembly line where you're building a car, and in the seventh step, it's, it's the slowest. If you've improved steps one through six, you've made your factory worse, not better, because your constraint was step seven. So as it applied to the remote executive assistant company or personal executive assistant and personal assistant company that we, we supported, if they had more sales, they were actually in deeper shit than if they had less sales at that point, because they were already overtaxing the recruitment department. And so they actually kind of had to like re-engineer their mindset and turn off some of their prospecting because they just had to, had to fulfill. So. This is an idea that I think any business owner can, um, can respect, um, even though it came originally from manufacturing. But let's, let's say that you've isolated the correct constraint. The questions I like to ask is, um, one is, is this an area that we want to uh, free higher capacity? Or Let me rephrase that. If, once you've found the constraint, you can ask yourselves, where are the people spending the most amount of time? Where is costing us the most amount of money? And also where is the highest number of errors occurring? And once you get that part, the next step is probably going to be the hardest, which is isolating the inputs and the outputs. Because very often the step is inefficient because there's some messiness. So for instance, in, in when, we, when we were uh, at the top of the recruitment funnel, a big part of the problem is that we were sometimes reading the resumes when the email come in, and sometimes we we're reading the resumes after the application form was filled in. And sometimes we have to double read it and sometimes it would be unclear which recruiter would would be the one reading it, and it would change from role to role. And so, uh, in the first ninety days, setting up the AI was was actually remarkably easy. The the first thing was making sure that the data flowed in a uniform way. And this is where um, you know using tools like Notion, Airtable, or a CRM. I think you know, people are very familiar with CRMs, HubSpot, and creating good practices around how your data is controlled is going to be the, the first step, in many cases the hardest step. Once that part's established, adding AI on top of it um, is is often kind of the the easy part and, and you can get a lot of quick wins from it.
0: And am I hearing the the well do-it-once strategy? Like if if we can remove a whole lot of rework, what was happening is people were going back because either they didn't record the information or it wasn't captured properly for this step as it was for that step. And, and if we can just yep. process every piece of information once, well, that's going to save a whole lot of time and, and prevent and, and let's do it completely the once and to get it right first time, then we save on doing rework and uh, yeah, that's always going to benefit every industry. And what's just come to mind as, as you were speaking then, Garrick, is, is one of the things that we do is, is, is looking at the capacity of a business, when a business says, "Hey, look, we generated um, you know five million pounds of revenue this year," doesn't matter if it's pounds, dollars, whatever it is, we go, "Okay, so that's what you did. You, you generated five mil in revenue, but what, given the capacity, you know, the number of trucks, the number of machines, or what have yeah. you, if they were all operating at capacity and you sold them at your normal price, and this this can apply to to services and people as well." What could you have generated? Like, what's the capacity of your business? You know, you know, you you did five mil, and that sounds great. But if you had everything operating at ideal efficiency, let's say seven yeah. or eighty percent, you know, would you have generated five, or would you have generated six, or would you have generated nine? Yeah. And and there's the capacity uh, management that we do, and 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 monitor the capacity, and then the correlation I see with what you did is we go. Okay. So let's, let's match or, or optimize your business and go, if the capacity turns out to be 10, let's make sure the capacity of the sales team is 10. Let's ha- make sure the capacity yeah. of the operations team is 10. Let's make sure the capacity of the delivery team is 10. Let's make sure the capacity of the client service engagement team is 10. And then it's optimized across the, the whole business. And there's no, you know, the, yeah, it's uniform. Which is what I think you were kind of saying. And uh and so I can see you've just given me a, a I think a real insight into the application and how we can apply and how business owners can start looking at, you know, their, their existing business and going, where's the opportunity for using AI in my business? Let me have a look at the various functions across my business. Where am I unbalanced? This one's significantly lower and could boost up. Can I use yeah. AI to boost that up or boost that capacity and match the other functional areas, capacity in my business? And there's a first step. I don't know. You, maybe I'm being exact, a bit high.
1: Exactly right. That step in your process where the capacity isn't a 10, let's say it's a seven. Then ask yourselves, how can we add AI here? The So long as your, your data is clean, which is definitely a, a big if, then AI can more often than not increase the capacity there. And the way that you would go about doing it is, let's just get ultra practical here, is, is remarkably simple. Um, there are t- There's tools out there. I think a lot of business owners might be have heard of the tool Zapier. Um, and if yeah. you haven't, uh, the long story short is that it takes a trigger from one platform. Let's say you receive an email And then it does something on another platform. So let's say you receive an email and therefore it puts that um, email into a spreadsheet. Kind of a silly example, but it can do anything like that. You post a YouTube video, you automatically post a tweet so that the tweet promotes the YouTube video. You're about to say something?
0: Yeah, there's a practical example of automation. We've got some sort of tool that says... If this happens, then automatically do that for me. And it's it's a repetitive behavior that a human used to do. And we're now using a a, a bit of, like, I don't know, I guess AI, Zapier is, is AI. Or if Does that come under the banner of AI? I would
1: call that automation. I would call that automation. Okay. And, so and what I would is, say...
0: Yeah, Zapier is an automation tool which saves hours of time of repetitive behavior. And every time you've got repetitive behavior, there's a chance of making a mistake or something gets missed. And there's where optimization comes in place. Thanks. I'm just, I'm just catching up to you, mate.
1: <clears throat> that's perfect. And there's, this, there's an additional concept I want to introduce here before I talk about how you add AI into that. But the, the additional concept is one I get from Tim Ferriss, which is a concept of the compounding effect of free time. If you're at like what, 99% capacity, that's too much capacity. But if you get to the point where you're at 98% capacity, well, you have 2% left over to start working to get to 97 and they have 3% and they start going to 96. So the mo- basically the more slack and capacity you have, the more of that can be applied to automating and, and cleaning things up. And so I I early on in my automation and AI career very often would would find things a little bit too trivial like okay, that's going to save us what 15 minutes per week. Is that really worth it? And the answer was yes, absolutely. <laughs> and and uh, I had the same experience hiring a personal assistant. There's a a dozen five-minute tasks that added up to an hour, and I never thought that would really matter. But by golly, freeing up that even just one hour across 12 different five-minute tasks, I had the capacity to start automating more and more and more. And so this can go too far. It absolutely can. I don't want to say it's an unquestionable virtue, but we shouldn't underestimate compounding free time.
0: Absolutely. And and it's again, another area I I look at when I'm working with clients, you know, Mm -hmm. business owners can be control freaks and they can get involved in everything. And and one of the things we're looking at is is to remember the context of, we want the business to be worth more so that they can exit it. And Mm -hmm. if they're involved in doing things themselves as control freaks, then yeah, it's, it's not worth as much. So one of the things that we, we look, Get business owners to look at is we go, let's have a look at all the tasks you get involved in during the week. And let's have a look at what you get paid or what you should get paid. And let's break that down to an hourly rate. And then we'll start matching any of those tasks you're doing now. And if you could pay someone less than the hourly rate you pay yourself to do them, they're the first task you should be handing off. And that is, in hindsight, as simple and as obvious as it sounds, it's just getting it to that level of granularity and Oh, 30 pounds an hour, 100 pounds an hour, whatever the number is, you know, is is a trigger. And it just helps the business owner to go, oh, yeah, I should be letting that one go. Uh, and, and let me, and then we go, okay, so let's train the person to do it the way you do it. And yeah. once they learn how to do it your way, then we know you're going to be happy. So that way you can delegate know it's going to be done the way you want it to be done and then you need some sort of feedback mechanism you know weekly report telling you how many times it's been done and and how successful it was or whatever sort of feedback you need to give you comfortable that you the the process or the task is still in control even though you're not doing it and and it's those granular steps that we have to take to help business owners let go of tasks and, and, you know, help the business become even better without them, so to speak. And, and it's a painful exercise sometimes. And then I think I'm guessing the next step in that is, is using some sort of automation tools and going, well, why, why yeah. even get a human to do it? Let's just delegate the task, you know, to, to automation. Free up your, and, your and,
1: leadership team, you know, get them, get them to start doing higher level stuff. Yeah,
0: exactly. So where does that leave us? You, you've shared some ideas of, of how you've applied this. You, you've given us some concepts of, of what it is and, and where the opportunities are to start looking. How do you decide, Garrick, if you know, a business owner's gone, oh, look, here's an area of automation that you know, may be uh, a good option for AI to do. How do you make the decision if, if it's worth investing, exploring, if, if AI is going to be a good solution in, in that particular scenario?
1: So the, the number one thing is, I'm going to answer that in two parts. The so first answering your question of how do we know if it's a good area? And the second is then how do you actually do that practically? It's, let's say no. you already have some Zapier set up and, and how do you do the next steps? So the question of is this a good area to use AI is I, I like to, in Western civilization, we do we put a lot of onus on the concept of accountability. And if something has consequences, we very much want a human to be accountable. And that has a lot of virtues attached to it. And I think it's something that we um, should respect. Ultimately, we can't make the AI accountable. Well, maybe that's taking a little bit too far. Maybe we can because we can uh, always change it if it makes a mistake. But we still have to make a human responsible for double checking the AI's work. So AI can't be accountable, which, which does pose some limitations to the kinds of things that you want to put it in charge of. At the very least, it changes how you transfer the ownership to it. So what we do is, if it's a step of your process that is high risk, but maybe also high reward, the first thing you do is you just have the AI running in the background where you can double check its results and compare it to how a human would would, would handle it. So for instance, in the CV screening, it's kind of risky if we say no to the wrong applicants or we say yes yes to the wrong applicants um, and then we waste people's time or we, we lose amazing hires. So yeah. we still want to make a human accountable for that. And so we just log the machine's pass fail in a place a human can't see it. And then we just bring up both logs, Where did all, how how often the human and the AI match And then when they disagreed, we just looked at those one at a time, and we asked ourselves, "Do do we actually?" Because a human makes mistakes too. Like, let's not pretend like they're the gold standard. We we look at those and say, "Okay, are we happier with AI or not?" And then we train the AI from that point forward, which really just means we adjust a prompt. I say "train" like we're doing something fancy. We're not. We're just. It's the same thing as going to ChatGPT and just modifying part of your prompt and running it again.
0: So you just updating. That's how
1: we think about the,
0: the risk. Go. I remember when I went to uni and and I studied engineering and and I first learned about systems and and what you're describing to me is is basic systems thinking and I remember, uh, you know, yes. someone you know I worked with in early days. She said to me, Daryl, everything is a system, including your stomach, which just processes information and rejects it and feeds back and what have you. And I'm going, oh, gross. But but what you're explaining to me is 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 just like any systems thinking. You've got an input and then you you measure the output, you monitor the output and you go, is it the output we wanted? Okay, I need an adjustment and there's my feedback. So I take a feedback mechanism from the output and I you know, redirect that into the input and I go, okay, so there's my input. I'll, I'll adjust what's going into the input, goes through the process again. Does it give the output as expected? Oh, no, it's too high this time. And that's exactly how a thermostat works on on an air conditioning system or a, or a heating and cooling yeah. system. It's just, you know, is it the temperature we want? Yes, no. Is it higher or lower? Okay, well, I'll make an adjustment. Okay, through the process, higher or lower? And, and, and I think what you're explaining or, or where I've arrived at, because I'm being a little bit slow today, is that. AI is just, well, is a highly sophisticated control system with, with feedback and, and and adjustments being made. And- I think
1: that's how businesses should think about it. I think AI can be a lot of things in a lot of domains, but I think that right. is ultimately the most practical sense for, for most business
0: owners. So let's start systems thinking thinking because we always we, we all know and we've heard the message uh, uh, many times that as business owners we want to systemize our business and systemizing our business is actually best for productivity and and, and the thing that I like is when you systemize a business, it removes the dull decision-making from people which frees up creativity yeah. and actually, actually stimulates more innovation and creativity so let's think about systemizing money effect of free time yeah yeah exactly good nice nice so so let's think about systemizing our business <clears throat> and we're not just using human systems, we're going well well since we're we're going to be looking at systemizing our business, let's take the opportunity to go, is there an opportunity for us to use AI or any form of automation um, if we can use automation then then that's going to be even more effective which means we free up the, the, the time of the people to be doing more productive, more valuable work or more valuable task for us.
1: Yep. And, and, and to make I... that just a little bit practical. Yeah, please. Or... I just want to give give a, a couple of, of, of the steps that, that that gets practical. So on tools like Zapier, like we said, you know, it can trigger information from one platform and then do something on another platform. The way you add AI into that is you just add a middle step. So you get information for one platform, and then you trigger something with AI. It's the same thing as as going onto the ChatGPT and typing something into it. Let's say you get an email, it triggers. You go, you paste it into ChatGPT, and you say, "Hey, here's the information about my website. Here's the static information about me. Here's the static information about you know what we do. Can you draft an email response?" And then the output is it puts that email response onto your Gmail. So what if every single Gmail you had had an automated response written? to that email. Honestly, it might not be that effective because you don't have all the inputs of every part of every conversation you've ever had. But that's an input problem. It's not fundamentally a a, a, an, a it's fundamentally an input problem. So, you can add AI into the middle steps. And I would recommend if people have used Zapier and they find this a little bit unwieldy, I definitely recommend the tool make.com which does multi-step automations a lot more effectively. Um, so if you're a business owner and you have your team looking into this, I would suggest make.com as a tool that your team works. And I definitely recommend business owners don't try to do all this themselves. They, they find the right champions internally to master these tools and, and apply the systems thinking.
0: Brilliant. Garrick, I know that this is a really big topic. This is, is going to continue to grow and could probably revisit this episode every six months or even every three months or so and, and, and update it. But given this is our first attempt at, at exploring how SME, owner-managed business owners, can explore how AI can help make their business more valuable, from this conversation today, what, what's the, the, the one key thing that you'd really hope that business owners or, or listeners to the podcast take away from our conversation today?
1: I think the biggest thing is to see ai not as a silver bullet but as a very helpful personal assistant you know i I like to think of it as a very eager fresh grad that's very well read they know a lot of things they learn everything in college but they don't really know how the real world runs but they're very well educated and they're very eager to learn and if you train them properly give them lots of examples they won't get tired they won't get pissed off They'll, they'll they'll Whatever, however you treat them, they're going to reflect that back to you, and they can do some some crazy cool things in your business, especially if you have dull parts or parts that uh, take uh, just a lot of manual effort um, in the knowledge in the knowledge space. And to get kind of excited by how much time you can free, not just of yourself, but also your your employees, and start getting the compounding effect of free time onto your onto your site.
0: Derek, that's brilliant thank you. Thanks for sharing the insights with us today. I appreciate it. And uh, I hope everyone else found it as valuable as I did.
1: Thank you, Daryl. This is a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Exit Insights podcast. And if you have, now's a good time to subscribe and make sure you get notified of all future episodes. Now, if the topics have raised questions about the value potential in your business or how you will exit like a boss, then contact me and arrange a free strategy call where we can discuss what's required for you. Otherwise, if you'd simply like to learn more about how to prepare for when you want to exit, then you can download a copy of our ebook called It All Begins With Insights. The link is in the show notes. In this book, We'll show you how a business insights report can be used to assess your business to uncover your intangible assets and identify the value potential if you're ready for exit and your business is exit ready.